Okay, I think it's on. I got a little, like, EKG thing going across. Yeah, I'm alive. Good. About there for a second, I was. Um, you know, guys, I I, uh, I do the tip at home. I've, I've been there forever. I, I grew up there. Mom and Dad were house parents there. I, I came there when I, in 1966. I was three years old. Uh, so I know Tipton Home. Well, there's nothing you can ask me that I don't know about Tipton Home. That you think, well, you're a know-it-all. No, that's all I know. You get what I mean. And mention the fact of me coming down here. I do a bunch of travel. I speak at a lot of places. Uh, you know, uh, it's just the nature of the beast. I get called to to speak about the home or do like to do today where I'm kind of doing the uh, speaking about the home and then kind of telling you update on it, but also speaking about, you know, just gospel sermon. And, you know, I can be a pretty good preacher because I just have one sermon. You know, you keep using it over and over, so eventually it's okay. But one of the things I want to tell you about that, about speaking, you never know who's heard what or where, but... Uh, you know, and I could go into the whole story of Tipton Home, but I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think there's a real need for that among this audience. I've been here so much, but we do change. It's it's a, a very fluid operation. It's not what you think it is. Okay, uh, when you go back to 1920, uh, 24, when it started 1920 in Canadian Texas, 1924 it moved to Tipton. Uh, when you go back to then, they had orphans, but you also have to remember in 1924 the toothache could make you an orphan. My great aunt died from toothache, abscess tooth. There is no penicillin. There is no antibiotics. There's no none of that sort of technology that we just take for granted today. There's a lot of us that probably would not be here today if it hadn't been for penicillin or whatever. And so they had a lot of orphans, and so Tipton Homes started out as Tipton Orphans Home. And it was well accepted in 1924 as that. Um, and that's the way it was. But now, there aren't orphans. Since 19, well, since 1969, another couple came. We talked about it. Of all the children we've had, tipped at home since 1969, there's only been five orphans that are true orphans. Don't have a mom, don't have a dad. Now, I'm going to be all over the board today because I, I, I get lost in my thought. But I'm going to tell you something, guys. I would rather have a children's home full of orphans than what I have. An orphan, I can make a change in. I don't have a mom. I don't have a dad. What you're telling me, I better hang on to. Now think of it, of all the children we have there now, I'm going home. My mom's coming to get me. When my uncle's coming to get me, I'm, I'm going home. I'm going home. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to mind you. I don't have to buy into this thing. Uh, you know, I don't have to do those sort of things. So, And so you fight that constantly. One of the greatest things we do, and you can think it's cold-blooded, it's all get out, but we'll take a kid sometimes in the room, put it on speakerphone with our social worker, and we'll say, Mom, Dad, are you coming to get this child? No, I'm not. Good. Did you hear what your mom, and everybody's hearing this, we're not doing it behind anybody's back. Did you hear what your mom or dad just said? didn't start getting with it, I guess you could say. So 1924, we start off with all these orphans, okay? 
We've helped over 4,000 children since that time. Over 4,000 children have come through our, our facility there at Tipton. About five years ago, we changed the sign on top of the board from Tipton Orphan's Home to Tipton Children's Home, and that's what we are. All of our kids are put there by private placement. In other words, mom or dad do not give up their criminal rights. They're put there. We do not deal with DHS. That's your CPS down here. We are licensed by them because we have to be licensed by them. But when I say licensed by them, all they do is come in and check our continuing endnote, make sure I've got first aid, uh, make sure I've been trained that way. Also check our fire extinguishers, that sort of thing. You know. But we don't take any DHS kids. We don't take any state money. We don't take any federal money whatsoever. They're 100% uh, funded by ch uh, Friends of the Tipton Children's Home and uh, funded by uh, people like you. And that's the way we operate. Now let's go full circle because I know I haven't been here since this all took place. When we went to private placement, uh, which we've been, uh, except for about three years, about ten years ago, when uh, the director at that time said he wanted to take DHS kids, we tried it for two or three years. It was an old, uh, a huge disaster. You, you know, I'm supposed to speak three times today. I don't have enough time to tell you all the stories of dealing with that. Now, I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression. I'm not bad-mouthing the people who work that I have to work with down on this level. They're good people, and they see things. But they're just following the people up here. And, uh, uh, again, I don't have time for it, but we, we pride ourselves in the state of Oklahoma as being one of the most conservative states in the United States. Uh, and we are. I mean, with 2% of the vote in, we, we put their, they're going to vote for this guy. You're right, we are. But I'm afraid that our child care and our education is run by some of the most liberal minds in the world. And they are here too. They are here too. I don't, I've got a board meeting Wednesday night where we'll confront some of these problems. We've got good godly men got elders of the Lord's Church who work in the education system and have been led to believe that certain ways are okay because we've said them over and over again. So we have to fight those things. Now when we got children that were private placement before two years ago, they've all been in a facility and they're all on drugs. What I mean by that, by drugs, we don't take alcohol or drug abusers. They're on a psychotropic drug, a behavior drug. And what I mean by a facility, they've been in a mental facility. I'm not real familiar with all your names down here, but we've got Southwest and Lawton. We've got the one in Oklahoma City. We've got the one in Tulsa. We've got one in Woodward. You know, all these kids that we were getting have been in one of those facilities, and then they've been on the drugs. Let me tell you how it works. Mom and Dad don't know what they're doing. They can't handle this, this, this son or daughter that they have produced into this world that God gave them as a gift. They can't take care of this child. They don't know how to. And so let's take him to a doctor. Doctor puts him on some psychotropic drug. That helps for a week or two. We still can't handle it. Well, then let's commit him to this mental facility for a week, six weeks, or two months. Uh, then he comes out, and then they're looking for some place to help put him. 
because or her because they've had so much luck in their home because nobody's there, you know, and they've had some peace and solitude. Yet their home is a home. See, most of our kids, about seventy percent of them, before we started what we've got going now, were put there by grandmother. Grandmother's the one raising them. And dads, I hate to tell you this, but dads in the state of uh, in, in the United States, dads are absent. Dads are absent. Uh, unfortunately, our kids are longing to have a dad. Now, I'm going to tell you something, guys. I have a lot of, my kids can tell you, I'm not the perfect dad. I'm not perfect in any way. Uh, you don't have to be perfect. Just show up. Just be there. You know, I'm there for the football games. You know, it's funny, I'm there for the money, too. You know what I'm saying? Dad, I need. I bet you do. So here we go. I say be there, but we don't have kids. So March of 2018, coming up on two years, not long the way, two years from now, I got a call from a guy that claimed to be a missionary out of, uh, uh, I think he's in Des Moines, Iowa. He's a missionary for Liberian children who uh, need a place to go. These Liberian children, were all, they're all kids of parents that were placed here in 1996, political asylum that Clinton at that time gave them, and then Bush gave them, Obama gave them, now Trump's given All of them have carried on this for this particular group of people. There's four or 5,000 of these Liberian people that came over at that time. Now they live in Des Moines, Sioux Falls, Fargo, and Louisville, Kentucky. Most of them do. And they're having kids that they want, uh, they're having trouble, not with the kids, but in their society, in their culture, where they were raised, they were wondering, because they left Liberia before the Civil War, so they have, uh, they're wondering if uh, I'm going to live today, I'm going to wonder what I'm going to eat today. And now that's the way they were raised, that's the way they grew up, and now they're sitting there dealing with kids whose biggest problem is, what's my Instagram account? You know, where are my Air Jordans? Where is my... And so that's what... And they can't have... They can't think that this is good, and they don't know how to handle that kind of thing. They also... All of them are working at a factory. Usually all those factories up there, there's a lot of meat factories and all, and they work there, and they work at 3 to 11 shift. The other... The, parent, the parents aren't at home. And they see this, and they recognize that, and so they want them to go to another, to us. So right now, we are full. We've got 32 kids, and we have 26 of them that are Liberian descent. Now, when I say Liberian descent, don't give me, they are very different than, uh, than the uh, African-American that lives here. They're very different than that on their thinking and the way they do things, but they are Americans. They're born here. And so, and all their parents are Americans too. Uh, and one of the things they put on there, one of the things this, this missionary guy came and told me, he said, Joe, we want them to, to uh, know Jesus Christ. And where we are, in their, in their culture and in their everyday, the Muslim, uh, is that religion? Muslim way of life is predominant, okay? So we want them to know Jesus Christ. And so we're going to put them with you. So that's the way we got started on that. And we've got, like I said, 26 of those kids right now. Uh, they range in age from 5 all the way up to 14 or 15. Uh, they've got a lot, lot, lot of energy. 
and they've got, uh, you know, they, there's a lot of smartness there and a lot of things going on with them. Uh, they've been a pleasure and a joy to work with. Now, all of them aren't successful. Some of them we have to take back because they won't follow our rules. And we are the lowest level of child care in the state of Oklahoma. In other words, um, there's no bars or windows, you know, there's no barbed wire, whether it's for the cows, but not for the kids. And, you know, our kids can walk to school. Our kids are involved in all the things that Tipton has to offer. You know, football, volleyball, softball, track. We're big into FFA. Right now we've got six sets of chickens that we're going to show. Oh, that's Wednesday. Yeah, that's this Wednesday we show at Tulsa. And uh, so that's a, a big deal, too. And we've got these kids involved in those things. Um, it's uh, real cool to see a, a 14 or 15-year-old Liberian kid dressed in all white showing a dairy cow. That's a local. There's <laughs> something about that. Uh, we are, uh, we do have some names on campus. We got Prince. We have Princess. One of the young men's name is Ephesian. Not Ephesians, but Ephesian. And if that wasn't enough, this week we got three boys named Success, Wonder, and Yada. That's their names. Yada, yada, yada. Hope, uh, well, Hope left. She did. And Jasmine, Despy, and Ophelia they are the girls' names. And, and among this culture, what I'm finding out, success is a junior, Ophelia is a junior, but there's a lot of the women that are named the same thing. Um, there's a Victoria, one of our kids, two of our kids' mom is named as Victoria. There's 11 Victorias directly with her, sisters and all. We have Blessy on campus. Our aunts, uh, two aunts are named Blessing and Blessed. Uh, you know, don't get me started on their last names. Uh, the CG, that starts with a G. Uh, GB, I just forget the G. Act like it's not, okay. Um, but it is a challenge. It's kind of a new challenge for us. But one of the good things I like about this, these kids, when I'm getting back to the drugs and all, they're not been in the facility haven't been on a psychotropic drug, and their minds are sponges of everything we tell them, you know, and they're learning and growing. Prince, my biggest uh, one, he is learning the game of football. He played Friday night and did a standing job. He told me about a week into football, he says, I don't care if I am a big black boy, I'm not playing football, I want to play soccer. Well, I talked to him yesterday, I said, hey, good game Friday night, what do you think about football? You know, I'm getting like it, Mr. Joe. That's my but that's just learning and growing. I do know they went back to um, went back home for a week vacation this summer. Some of them did, most of them did, and they said uh, got a call about a week after saying that we had upset some people up in Des Moines because these people were talking. These kids of ours were singing "Blue Skies and Rainbow" and talking about Jesus. This is a Muslim society. You don't do that. Okay. Well, then we're doing something right. We're doing something right. Um, that in a nutshell is, is, is us right now um, I don't know how it happened but it did happen we have the oldest set of house parents we've ever had uh, and I think that's just the way it is now when I, you know, our youngest one until a week ago was 40 um, and why does that matter because with these kids they're 11, 12 and 6 and 7 you need energy they need to be out going and playing and rolling and going on like that. Um, 
You know, our main goal in that always is to lead them to Christ. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do. I think that's what we do with all of our kids. Now, y'all really need a clock on the back wall. Let me pause here just a second. How many of you did do... So this tells me exactly how long I've been talking. Yeah, great. <laughs> so you've been talking 16 minutes. That's a little word yet. Um, any of you have a question about tipping home before I share some more thoughts with you? Thank you. Yes, sir. you go back and if you study ADHD and those sort of things, if you go back and really study ADHD and you go back and read Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, they would have been both ADHD. A lot of that is kids at that, but you do, yes, there's no program, but we try to get them off. But here's the big problem with that, guys. If a, if a doctor, a medical doctor has prescribed this medicine to them, a medical doctor has to get them off. Uh, for us to wean them off, just say, ah, you're no longer on this. Yeah, but to answer your question, absolutely. And we we adjust, we move and do things to try to get them off. Now, I'm not, I'm really big against that, but I have seen once or twice on girls, one girl in particular, I have seen those drugs work with her. She's the only one. Well, let me just tell you this, and I don't want to get into too much detail, I don't have time, but when we interviewed that girl, there's no way on this earth to take it home would accept her as a resident. After six weeks at a treatment facility, she came back, we took her, and she's going to graduate this year. She's been there three years. I don't, I don't know what, I don't even know what she's on, but it, it helped her immensely. Anybody got any, any questions at all? I have new house parents that came this week and I told them, I said, the worst person you can talk to about tipping home is me. And, and why? Because I just take it for granted that everybody knows. You know, I know where all the caves are and the hiding places and, and you know, those sort of things. I know how things work. And then sometimes, guys, when you're too knowledgeable in something, that works against you. Let me give you an example. That. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you would consider yourselves to have been raised in the church? I was. Granddad's preacher, dad's preacher, two brothers' preachers, one's an elder. You know, I was raised from the day I was born until right now I go to church. Church of Christ. Every, every time I'm told. That's me. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. I know the story. Jonah, I know the story. Now, guys, think about that. I look at my neighbor, and they don't live anything like I do. You know, living a wayward life. 
Why can't they be more like me? I'll tell you why. They don't know God. Why do we expect people around us to act like we do when they don't know God? They don't know God. See, it's sometimes I think it's almost a hindrance. It shouldn't be a hindrance. We should be using that knowledge to spread it, but we're not. Same way with our kids. You know, we expect you would do that. Why, why would they? They didn't raise that way. And so, I think one of the greatest things we could do, though, is trying to spread the, the good news and, and to bear fruit so that our churches can grow. I think we need to get back to some grassroots and just say, hey, let's go study the Bible. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what's right or wrong. Just do this. My word will not return unto me void. My words. Here. My word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Rightly. What is? My word. Joe's word. Scott's word. My words. Let's just stay the Bible. See what it has to say. We'll come to the right conclusion. Speaking of the Bibles, if you have yours with you, turn to Luke chapter 15. A very familiar passage, but I want to give you some, maybe some hope. And I don't know your situation because I don't know you. I don't know any of you. I don't have to put the connections together with your, your son or your daughter or this, that, or the, I don't know. So, so I can speak this way to you and, and maybe give you some hope for some hurting parents that are here. Why do kids go astray? I, I don't know. How many of you have been guilty of the two things? One, your child has gone astray. Or two, you know somebody else's child has gone astray. And in your mind you're sitting there saying, see why that happened. And we look at the parents. We have that guilt the other side is we have that guilt as a parent. We need to go back again to what I said to the Bible. Are there any examples of that in the Bible? Yeah, let's look. We've got Adam, kid went astray. We have this guy who uh, God said, you know, I am going to bless you and your descendants and upon your throne, all the world will be blessed. And this guy is a man after God's own heart. David, whose kids, wow, Absalom, and you got another son, raped a daughter, you went haywire, didn't you? What about Samuel? What about Eli? The list goes on and on. And just so I'll get to the, to the, to the punchline before I get through the lesson so everybody will get this, know this, sometimes kids do that. But know this, there is only one perfect parent. And that's God. He is our heavenly one, Father, right? And He's perfect. Now let me ask you this. God's perfect. Does God have any rebellious kids? You know, here we've got a perfect Father. I mean, why in the world do we... You see, we blame ourselves. I'm not saying you're off the hook. I'm not saying that at all. But look at this. We have rebellion, reevaluation, and hopefully return. I'll, I'll read it out of mind. It's, you know, Jesus continued, verse 11. It's on the prodigal. Verse, there was a man who had two sons. Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided them between them. Um, 
first of all, let me set the stage. The Father here represents God. Second of all, because of the words he used, servant in this thing, there's a lot of different servants, and that represents uh, riches. Okay? Now, he says, give me my share of the estate. How much would his share of the estate have been? Two kids, older and younger. How much would the younger one get? Huh? Well, according to the Mosaic law, the oldest get two-thirds, and he gets a third. Okay? My family, we had a meeting a few years back, and Dan, my oldest brother, he gets to inherit 100% of my mom and dad's possessions. We decided that. That's a curse, guys. They got so much junk. <laughs> I guarantee it, it's a curse. <laughs> Stage one is rebellion. From the day you're born, from the day a child is born, there's this idea of who's going to be in control. Did you know that you were born selfish? Did you know that? That you were born selfish? When you were uh, born, or if you've had kids, you know, you put them down, 9 o'clock at night, and they wake up 7 o'clock the next morning. It's not the way it works, is it? I'm hungry, I'm wet, I'm dirty. You know, I don't care about you, I care about me. But then as you get older, there's still this rebellious thing of who's going to be in charge. And I look at the audience today, I see your ages, and there's still this idea, this, 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 even some of you who are older, some of you whose parents have passed away, they're still holding that over you, maybe in a good or bad way. And so you're sitting there saying, who's in charge? Look what he says. Father, give me my share. Classic confirmation. If I could just do as I please, be my own boss, nobody answer to, I'm fed up with the farm, so give it to me. And look at what he looks in verse 13. Not long after this, he got up and squandered his wealth and wild living. Went off to a distant country. Here he goes to party time. He goes to, I guess you could say if you put it in our vernacular, goes to, you know, down to driving around and doing all these things and, and, and really and truly just lives a rebellious life and says, so I'm going to do that, okay? What do you do when your child is old enough and you can't control them anymore? I want my inheritance. I'm going to leave. Number one, let him go. Let him go. That's what the Bible says here. He set off for a distant country. Father didn't chase him. He released him. From birth... Till the time they leave, we are preparing our children to leave home. We're preparing them to leave home. And so we let them go. You want to share the estate, then let them go. Isn't it interesting to you or to me that sometimes money is the way we try to hold on to our kids? And it is. It is. You do this, and I'll do this. You do this, and I'll do this. But you let them go. You let them go. That's in the rebellious stage. You let them go. Underneath the rebellious stage, you let them make their own mistakes. I go, you let them make your own mistakes. I'm going to use a real, real simple, easy little example. I'll never forget it. You know, all these years, I haven't forgot it, and I won't forget it. We used to have to uh, make a garden out back behind our cottage, 
And one of the things we do, of course, we didn't have something called a rototiller. We'd do it by hand. We'd do it by shovels. We'd do it by rakes and all. And Dad would always tell me, Joe, please, don't, when you set the rake down, you got to set it down so you can go do this. Put it with the teeth down. Put it with the teeth down. Joe, you left the rake with the teeth up again. Put it down. I turned one day and stepped on that rake with the teeth up, and it came right up between my eyes. Wham! Guess what? I didn't make the mistake again. To this day, yesterday I was moving stuff around, turned some rakes around. Still remembering that. Now, these mistakes are going to make, let them make their mistake. Don't come bail them out. He didn't do that. Do you think his father knew what was going on? Probably. You think he knew he was wasting his money? Maybe. Proverbs 20 and verse 30, blows and wounds scrub away evil, and beatings purge the inmost being. I'm going to read that in another version. Guys, I don't know how y'all feel about Bible versions. The message is probably the absolute worst one in the world, except for the book of Proverbs. That's the only book that, when you read it, it it's a, a, an amazing, that's the only one. The rest of them is just really bad, but Sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. Isn't that true? It's the same way with kids. Eventually they're going to rebel. Eventually they're going to rebel. Tom, uh, Samuel, Mark Twain. Now, what, he's a famous one that said, and I don't know, I won't get the quote right. You know, when I was 14, my dad was an idiot. When I turned 23 or 24, he became a genius. Yeah. Let them learn that on their own. You let them go. You let them make their own mistakes and their rebellion. So the third thing, you let them reap the consequences of their choices in this rebellious state. That's hard for us to do. After he spent all he began to be in need, there's always a price tag for rebellion. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, began out to be in need begin to be in need. He went out and hired himself out to the citizen of the country who sent him in the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating. No one gave him anything to eat. He's hit rock bottom. Party's over. He's broke. And dare I say he's friendless now? What how many friends he had when he was buying? How do you think the parents felt during this stage? That's my son. That's my son. I always think of this because when I first got married, I took a, a job way back a long time ago on a corporate pig farm in uh, Mead, Kansas. Lori and I lived up there for two or three months before I did something else. But um, I always think, you know, feeding pigs, I thought it was a pretty good deal to make a living. But here he is feeding this unclean animal, and Jesus knows that's an unclean animal. That's why he uses it. How do you think the parents felt? Why is my kid doing this? Why couldn't he do it? And, 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 and the fact is, and I want, to, I want you all to hear this. All of us make mistakes as parents. But you're not the only influence in your child's life. We turn our children over to the influences of this world. By sending them right down here wherever it is, to the public schools. Yeah, you know, and that's bad. I can blame my teacher on that, blah, 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 blah. And then we do the same thing when we turn them over to the Internet. 
or when we turn them over to social media, when we turn them over to TV under our watch. Those are influences. There's books, there's other things. There's also people. You have friends that influence you. Okay? They do. Our children are the same way. They're influenced that. One of the lines I want to say is, and I believe this, others will argue with me, parental responsibility ends where parents in control. If you don't control your kids anymore, then you're not responsible for their actions. I believe that parents are responsible for their children until they move out. Then you're responsible to them. There's a difference there. I know. People don't like that. You let them go. You let them make the mistakes. You let them reap their consequences. That's in the rebellion stage, okay? That one's hard. And real hard. It might, in, it might uh, mean an unwanted pregnancy. It might mean spending a night in jail. It might mean you have to walk to work. It might mean several different things. It might mean. But during that time, we need to let them see what it's like. Stage two, and remember there's only three stages. Um, reevaluation. It says in that verse, when he came to his senses. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare and I'm starving to death? I'll set out and go back. I'm not long away because your uh, servant made me like one of your hired men. You notice he says there, the first one, now about five minutes, right? To go two points. <laughs> There's a way done. The uh, notice he says, "Give me get over here." The first one, "Give me my share of the sake." Now he's saying, "Make me, make me. I want to be made." So he woke up to the mess he's in. He said, "I've got to go back home. Uh, you know, I've had a change of heart." And look what it says. What do parents do during this time? While you're waiting for reevaluation, there's three things you do. You pray. You pray for your kids. You pray for your children every day, day in, day out. You pray for them. Power of prayer is unlimited. Commit them to God. It's comforting to me as a parent to know that things are out of my control and they're in God's hand. And then three, you wait patiently. That's in the reevaluation stage. Now, the last stage is this. Return. You return. Remember the idea of Father does three things during this. He loved them faithfully. When he saw him, he was filled with compassion. He was filled with compassion. No matter how far they fall, no matter how long you have to wait, the door is open for reconciliation. Okay? You love them that way. You let them, you know, you go through that tough love where they're reaping the consequences of their action, but you, you love them anyway. And then you accept him unconditional. He ran out and, and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Okay? That's what he did. You know, he smelt like a pig. He looked terrible. He'd been in the pig pen. But he said, I'm going to do that. Now, let me tell you something. You say, how can I accept him without lowering my standards? You don't have to. There is a difference between acceptance and approval. A huge difference. Okay? You may accept someone without approving of their lifestyle or what they've been through, but you love them that way anyway. You accept them back. 
unconditionally. Notice what he says. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Maybe like when you're serving. Then the last thing that you do, you love them faithfully, and you accept them unconditionally. And this one's so vitally important. You forgive them completely. Again, I'm trying to be more like God. I'm trying to be more like Christ every day. Aren't you? We read the Bible. The Bible says, I removed your sins as far as from the east and the west. I am convinced that sometimes that we pray to God, God, forgive me for this thing that I did in 1985. Please, God, forgive me. And I think that God's up there saying, I don't know that. See, if we we read the Bible and read it right, God forgets it and he removes it. That's what it says. We can't do that because we're human. We're not God. It's God. I don't understand his ways. It's his ways. So that's comforting to know it's God. But we have to do that for the child that comes back. Father says, quick, put a robe on his finger. Put a a robe on his finger. (laughs) Put a ring on his finger. Put a robe on him. put, Put sandals on him. Kill the fatty calf. God doesn't rub it in. He rubs it out. Father says, didn't say, I told you so. I knew this was going to happen. Bring forth the robe. Bring forth the ring and put it on his finger. You know, we call this story the story of the prodigal son. Really, the prodigal son is the whole story, but it should be called the story of the loving father. A lot of you, maybe your your uh, verdict is still out on your kids. Um, but I do want to tell you this, teenager or adult for the rest of your life, everything you do, everything you do affects others in the way they are. Um, so I want to encourage you today, to, if you do have rebellious kids or have kids that maybe aren't where you want them in life, to let them go for that and keep praying for them. But also I want to say something else. Realize this in don't Don't let that guilt ruin your life. Don't let that guilt ruin you from speaking up and speaking out for Jesus Christ. Well, you know, I would do that, but you know, my kids just aren't what they should be, so I don't think I should say anything. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. Please do. We need we need men and women who will stand up for what's right instead of just saying, well, I don't want to offend. I don't have time to get into that, but Jesus offended them, okay? Jesus offended people. Uh, well, you know, I don't want to hurt them. I want them to go to their safe space. Baloney. Jesus didn't have any safe space. Yeah. That's the way it is. Um, if you got more questions for me, I'll be here, you know, for a couple more lessons. And uh, if you got any questions about the home, if you ever want to come see us, please call and make it available to you to, to come. Uh, really, I mean, it... it the opposite of that about the home is kind of true. It's not a matter if you come. I mean, you need, you're always welcome. The doors are always open. Uh, if you come on a weekend, it might be hard to find somebody around. But uh, but anytime you're up that way and want to drop by, just come on by. Okay, we'll be glad to show you around. Thank you for your attention.